have you ever missed a connecting flight at an airport before? Okay, yes. Several years ago, my family, we were flying back from California, and we had a connection in Denver, and we knew it was going to be be really, really close. So once we landed, we got off the plane and we, we literally ran as fast as we could to get to the departing gate. Yet when we arrived, the plane had already left. We, we, we missed that small window just by a couple of minutes. Right? It, it's, it, it's a pretty terrible feeling, isn't it? Those of you who have experienced maybe something similar before, Dismiss that small window of opportunity. But, but have you ever missed a connecting flight because you went to the wrong gate? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. <laughs> In many ways, that's even worse, isn't it? I mean, it, it, can, be, it can be very demoralizing to be running in a certain direction only to get there and discover you're not at the right destination, right? Okay. Did you know that one of the most frequent metaphors the Bible uses to describe the Christian life is running? It's not hockey. I wish it was. It's running. And what you, and what you need to understand is all of us are running. We all are moving in a certain direction. Spiritually speaking, none of us are idle. The question is, are we running to the right gate? Or, or, or to put it another way, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, what direction should we be running what gate should we be advancing towards? Well, this is actually the very question the author of Hebrews answers for us in Hebrews chapter 4. So if you haven't already, please turn there with me in your Bibles. That's page 1002 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. As you're turning there, let me give you the context uh, we spent the last several weeks in the second half of Hebrews 3 where the author of Hebrews reminds us that as Christians there's something we're, we're uh, called to take responsibility for, especially in the midst of hardships, and that's our own heart. And all throughout the second half of Hebrews chapter 3, the author exhorts us to do not harden your heart in the day of trouble. When trouble comes upon you, Christian, you have the responsibility to make sure your heart doesn't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and hardened towards God. And, and one of the, the, the things that the author did, which is very masterful, is at the end of chapter 3, he uses Psalm 95, and he draws some examples and some analogies from Israel in the wilderness to us today as believers. Well, he's going to pick up this theme a little bit more here, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. The author writes this. He says, Therefore, 
while the promise of entering his rest, this is God's rest, still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. This is referring to the wilderness generation under Moses. Good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Well, why is that? Was there some deficiency with that, with that word? No, look at what he says. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed, referring to the person and work of Jesus Christ, this good news, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Referring to that wilderness generation. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, referring to God and creation. Verse 4, for, some, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, referring to Psalm 95, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today. Same through David, so long afterward, in the way words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You know who that is? That's me. That's you. There remains a rest. For us. Verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And now here in verse 11, he, all this talk about the rest in the promised land and quoting these different verses, he now brings it all together and here's his point. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. I recently started following the Daily Word by Don Hewley on Instagram. As the name suggests, each day Don highlights a certain word. And in a very entertaining fashion, Don gives the definition and the proper pronunciation of a word. And this is me trying to expand my vocabulary, okay? That's what this is, okay? This past Friday, the word of the day was finifugal. Finifugal. Adjective. <laughs> Do you know what the definition of finifugal is? 
Sinefugal is defined as fearing or hating endings. Sinefugal. <laughs> In the passage I just read, the author of Hebrews highlights a certain word. Did he catch that? In fact, you could say that this is the author's word of the day for Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You know what that word is that he highlights? It's the word rest. Notice how frequently it appears. The word rest is used no less than 10 times in these 11 verses. And borrowing from Don Hewley, we could say that the author demonstrates some signs of being finifugal. What I mean is, the author has a fear, please hear me, of a certain type of ending. And you know what that is? It's that you and I would not enter God's rest. That is, the author is concerned that our ending will be like Israel in the wilderness under Moses who did not enter the promised land because of unbelief. As you no doubt noticed, this passage can get a little bit complicated, right? However, the author's main point is not it's actually an exhortation. You know what the exhortation is? It's simply this. Christian, be diligent to enter God's rest. Be diligent to enter God's rest. This, I want to suggest, is the main point of Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Indeed, we know this is the case because of what the author states there in verse 11. Notice how he succinctly summarizes his argument in that verse. For what does he say? Have your eyes fall there once more in verse 11. He writes, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The rest he just was elaborating on to the first 10 verses of chapter 4. Let us strive to enter that rest. Why? So that no one may, may fall by the same sort of disobedience, the same sort of disobedience exemplified with Israel in the wilderness. Now, it's good to ask, and we should ask, why is the author even writing this? Why would he call us to be diligent? Why would he exhort us to strive to enter this rest? Well, as we've already discussed previously, uh, some of the original readers, they were running in a different direction. You could say this, they were running towards the wrong gate. As we've mentioned, they, the original readers of the book of Hebrews, they were facing enormous pressure to return to Judaism and to, listen to me, to abandon Jesus. Some had become spiritually sluggish. Others, their hearts had become cooled and begun to harden. 
their faith in Jesus was fading. And not just from trials, but their faith in Jesus was fading from the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. In other words, we could say this, they weren't running towards the right gate. So the author strongly exhorts them and us. He says, you Christian, you be diligent to enter God's rest. Because you see Christian in many ways, and, and please, don't, don't press it too hard. But in many ways, spiritually speaking, Christian, we are in the airport. Through our faith in Jesus, like Israel, we've been delivered from bondage. We've been delivered from Egypt. And like Israel of old, we are now in the wilderness of the airport. And the author wants us to make sure that we reach the correct gate this is important, on time. So he lets us, he tells us, be diligent to enter God's rest. Run towards that gate. But what does that mean to enter God's rest? Well, as you probably picked up, when the author speaks of God's rest, he's not talking about taking a nap. Who doesn't love a good nap? That's not what he's talking about. No, rest here in Hebrews 4 refers to final salvation. Albert Muller is really helpful here in his commentary on this passage. He gives a very succinct definition of what the author is getting at and what he means when he speaks of rest. Muller writes this. He says, rest in Scripture metaphorically refers to God's blessings of safety, security, and salvation. Hebrews develops this picture by bringing a uniquely Christological component to a theology of rest. Hebrews 4 teaches that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. Not a place, but a person. Jesus Christ most fundamentally gives us rest. Amen? I mean, notice how the author of Hebrews speaks of rest in the verses I just read. First, he talks about God's rest on the seventh day of creation. See that there in verses 3 and 4? Then there's Israel's rest in the promised land, which the generation under Moses failed to enter. I mean, the author made this abundantly clear at the end of chapter 3, did he not? So now enter stage right Joshua. Notice he's introduced here in verse 8. And what does Joshua do? As we read our Bibles, Joshua does actually lead God's people into the promised land, the land of rest, doesn't he? Yet what does the author of Hebrews state about this rest in verses 8 and 9? Very clearly he states that this is not the final rest God had planned for his people, is it? What does he say? There remains a greater rest. For God's people. And then what do we read in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Speaking to his disciples, and it's within the context of the Sabbath. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says these profound words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You see, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, 
We have already entered that rest. Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 3 of chapter 4 makes this clear, that we who have believed, we have entered this rest. So this is important to understand if we're going to really put our minds around this. This can be somewhat of a complicated text. So there's an already aspect to God's rest for the believer, isn't there? We've already, in some sense, we've entered that rest. But as verse 11 makes clear, there's also a not yet aspect to this rest. And that's the rest the author is calling us and encouraging us to strive and to be diligent to enter. Now, it's very important. Please do not misunderstand me. The Bible does not teach that Jesus gets you halfway there. That he, he gets you in the terminal and then you have to do the remaining work yourself to experience final salvation. Please hear me. No, salvation is from the Lord from start to finish. The Bible teaches that for those who are in Christ, He will hold us fast. Amen? He who began the good work in you will be faithful to what? To complete. He, not us, God, He will be faithful to complete it. And one of the means that God has ordained to complete the good work in us, one of the means God has ordained so we'll reach the correct gate, if you will, are passages like these, Hebrews chapter 4. God has given us these warning passages, passages like Hebrews 4, to direct us to the correct gate on time. For notice how often he says, today, today, today. If you hear his voice when? Today, right? For those who belong to Christ, they hear these words and respond accordingly to persevere to the end. That is, God brings us to the correct gate through warning passages, passages just like Hebrews 4. So here's the question I want us to consider this morning. That is, how, how do we enter this rest? How do you make it to the correct gate? How are we to respond to what this author has to say? How can we make it to the correct gate while it's still called today? The author of Hebrews directs us to three actions we must take. And the first is this. How do we enter? We're to enter with fear. Notice verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us Fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Do you, do you remember when Yoda trained Luke Skywalker in The Empire Strikes Back? And during his training, Yoda explained to Luke all the challenges that awaited him. And in a moment of confidence, 
Luke looks at Yoda and says, I'm not afraid. You remember what Yoda says in response? What does he say? He says, be afraid. Very afraid, right? And as Yoda goes on to explain, Luke's problem wasn't that he had fear. No, Luke's problem was that he feared the wrong things. And you know what, friend? The same can be true for the Christian. That is, the problem isn't that we have fear. No, the problem, biblically speaking, is that we often fear the wrong things. Notice clearly what the author of Hebrews calls us to do in verse 1. As several commentators have pointed out, that phrase, let us fear, it literally means, may we be made to fear. May we be made to fear. The question becomes, fear what? What may we be made to fear? Well, we already know what the answer is not, don't we? As Hebrews 2.15 makes abundantly clear, we are not to fear death. Jesus died to deliver us from self-focused, self-protecting fear. Instead of living for ourselves and our protection and our well-being, we are instead to live for Jesus. We, we now live prudent, responsible lives, not out of a motivation of self-protection, but out of Savior glorification. I'm responsible with my life, not because I don't want to get harmed. I'm responsible with my life because I want to live for Jesus today and the next day and the day after. Jesus died to deliver me from self-protecting fear. So then what are we to fear? Well, as the following verses make clear, the end of verse 1 and verse 2, the answer is unbelief. Commenting on this verse, John Piper has written this. He says, so there's only one thing to fear, faithlessness. Fear unbelief in the promises of God. Because as long as you're trusting in the promises of God, you can be utterly fearless in the face of anything, even death, even God. See Hebrews 4.16 where it says we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Uh, if we're taking the Bible seriously, and I know we want to, we must consider what the author is calling us to do. And the question that I have for you, Christian, is, is faithlessness what you fear? If, if I were to ask you to write out a thing of all the things you fear right now, where does unbelief and faithlessness stack up in that list? Let me put it this way. Do you have more concern for missing a connecting flight or growing cold and faithless towards God. I mean, think for a moment of all the things you'll do to make sure you'll not miss your flight. Who wants to be stuck in the Denver airport, right? Think of all the things you'll do to ensure that. You know what this verse is calling you to do? It's calling you to apply that same effort and deepening your faith and trust in God. 
which leads to the second and most important way we are called to enter God's rest. And that is with faith. Notice how the author brings this to the surface, beginning in verse 2. He says, For good news came to us, just as to them, referring to the wilderness generation that failed to reach the promised land. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. For into the wilderness generation... And now he begins to talk about God's work in creation, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. If we're going to be diligent to enter God's rest, we must enter with fear, but also with faith. The other day, I I was... out and about, and I heard, uh, I think it was in the gym, over the, the speakers, the lyrics of this song. Let me see if you can, you can finish them, okay? See if you know the, the, the rest of these lyrics. Uh, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She took the midnight train going. Okay, Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. He took the midnight train going. Yeah, good. Uh, who can tell? What's what's the name of that song? Stop don't stop believing. I know that others you know it. Don't be don't be ashamed to say it. <laughs> and who's it by? Journey. Journey. And and do you remember how the chorus goes? He says, "Don't stop believing. Hold on to this feeling." It, and the song it's a very memorable and catchy song, is it not? Yet, have you ever noticed that the song never specifies what it is you're never to stop believing in? In fact, the backstory of the song goes, they just, uh, one of the band members mentioned it to the vocalist of Journey and said, what do you think about this phrase? And he liked it, and they didn't feel necessary to identify what it is you're not supposed to stop believing in. If, If we were to give a summary of the tone and the concern and the burden of Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11, don't stop believing would be very appropriate. However, unlike that song, the author of Hebrews clearly identifies the object of our faith, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice once again the comparison the author makes between Israel in the wilderness and the church today. Notice we both have received good news. What was the good news preached to Israel? Well, among other things, it was God's word to Israel from Mount Sinai, namely that God is merciful and forgives sins and promises rest and joy for those who trust Him. And as the Bible makes clear, those saving promises find their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is the good news that was preached to us. Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised to new life to save sinners. And friend, this is the best news in the world. Amen? Christ was crucified to save 
sinners. Yet please observe, simply hearing this good news does not save a person. It does not benefit them. Friend, this passage reminds us that faith is something much more than just intellectually apprehending the truth about Jesus. I mean, listen, the Israelites surely understood the promises and warnings God gave them, yet they did not rest on those promises. They disregarded the word of God and acted disobediently because they did not believe the word of God. As Hebrews 4.2 states, the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listen. And man, what a tragedy. Hearing the good news, being familiar with the good news, yet never believing it. Friend, is that true of you? In a room this size, it very likely could be multiple people here who are familiar with the words of Jesus, are familiar with the gospel of Jesus, have heard it. You've been, maybe even just been surrounded your whole life by Christians. You know of this good news. You could articulate this good news, but you have not believed it. Friend, have you ever forsaken your own righteousness and gone all in trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from the wrath of God? You are owed for your sins. And that Jesus was raised to new life to give you new life. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Friend, have you put your trust in Christ? Or are you like that wilderness generation? In Scripture, saving faith, we see it has three aspects. There's the content. You must understand the message of Christ. There's the conviction. You must believe and affirm it's true. And there's a commitment that you follow. Friend, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let today be the day of salvation. Because I'm telling you, the plane's going to take off. There's urgency here. Do not pass it away. Don't put it off to the side. Repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ and then do what we see next. And that is to pursue God with fervor. Verse 6, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, there is a rest out there, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today. Saying through David, so long afterwards, as the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, which he did, he led them to the promised land. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works 
as God did from His. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Don't veer to the right or to the left. Stay on the straight and narrow, as Jesus says. For wide is the path that leads to destruction. Keep believing, Christian, so that no one may fall away by the same sort of disobedience. You know, as, as you read the, this passage over and over again, all this, this idea of rest and these citations of the Old Testament, well, what's the point of all of it? Well, very simply, the point is there's a future rest for Christians, so therefore strive, be diligent, enter. This is where I'm getting the idea of fervor. And his commentary on Hebrews, George Guthrie, helps us understand the full force of what the author is getting at in verse 11. Speaking of the verb strive, Guthrie writes this. He says, it speaks of focused attention toward the accomplishment of a given task. And I want to suggest that that task that we're to give focused attention to is to keep believing and trusting in Jesus. For notice, what does the author say there in verse 10? We are to rest from our works as God did. Very simply, you know what this means? And this is such good news. It means we do not obtain God's rest through our own righteousness, but through the perfect righteousness of Jesus. We rest from striving to earn our salvation because Jesus did it perfectly for us. Uh, one commentator I read made the astute observation that in many ways Hebrews 4.10 is like John 3.16. That powerfully captures the message of the gospel in a single verse. And the good news of Jesus Christ is not mortality, it's not external religion. No, the good news of Jesus is that Christ accomplished everything necessary for salvation so we might rest from our own works and instead trust His perfect performance. For when we trust in Christ's work, we rest from trusting in our own. Amen? Faith, listen. We're in the airport of the wilderness. The wilderness of the airport. And Hebrews 4 is a sign that gives us direction to the correct gate. And it's shouting at us. It's screaming at us. It's pointing us to the gate we need to enter and strive and that sign, it keeps saying, keep trusting in Christ. Keep believing in Him. Keep putting your hope and confidence that His work is sufficient to save you, not your own. Don't look to your own righteousness. Don't look to your own morality. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Trust Him. Trust Him. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Because these passages are the means God has ordained to help His, indeed, not help, but to make sure that His own enter that final rest. Amen? Let us listen and respond accordingly. Let's pray.